What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Pure Sports Pod. This is Matt Wyrick along with Kevin Haswell coming at you after a weekend of some wild NBA playoffs, our first games of the postseason here, and some upsets, some expected victories, and a few blowouts. Kevin, how, how was your weekend? How did you take away from it? Took away that the Phillies are making the playoffs. Not the right sport. They won six in a <laughs> row. I, I don't care. I, I don't care about the other sports right now because the Phillies are killing it. Six in a row. What else is there to say? Oh, and the Sixers. I mean, winning by 30 in game one, impressive. Gotta love Philadelphia sports right now. Yeah, it's a pretty good time to be a Philly fan after a few years of hardship for you. I can't imagine what it'd be like to you know, be in a, following a sport or a series of sports that just never win. Oh, wait, I'm a DC fan, and I know exactly what that's like. Yeah, I was so. going to say, wait, what? <laughs> um, I don't have any sympathy for Philly fans, and the fact that they're already back in relevancy doesn't surprise me, given their payroll and front offices, but um, here we are talking about how good Philly sports are. So we're going to go ahead and get started with the NBA. We'll get to the Sixers in a little bit, but the first game that happened in the first round on Saturday was the Wizards falling to the Raptors 114-106. to uh, Leading scorer for the Raptors was Serge Ibaka with 23 points, finished with also 12 rebounds, including 10 on defense uh, in a pair of blocks. He was a dominant force for them. Um, and Kyle Lowry scoring only 11 points, but still very efficient from the floor with nine assists, um, did have five turnovers. Um, but overall, the Raptors were able to keep it close with the, the Wizards, but pull away there late, um, outscore the Wizards by seven uh, in the fourth quarter to really make a difference there. So, uh, Kevin, what were your takeaways from this game? You know, the, the Wizards proved that they can uh, stick with the Raptors in this series. Um, you know, looking through the uh, Box score, Marquise Morris had a great game, uh, 22 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists. Um, John Wall showed that he's pretty healthy, uh, 15 assists, 23 points. And then on the other side, um, you know, the the story has to be um, Serge Ibaka. I mean, 23 points, 12 rebounds, not to mention he was speaking three languages during his press conference, so that was pretty interesting. <laughs> Throw that fact out there. Um, but, you know, going back to our last episode, I, I don't think the Wizards can win this series. I think it, all, all the games, um, four or five games, are going to be like this, um, you know, within 10 points. But, you know, I think the Raptors just have more talent in the series, um, and they pull away. But, you know, what a game for Serge Ibaka. And it, for the Wizards, I mean, it's good to see uh, John Wall be effective out there. He's actually the only player in their starting lineup with a positive plus-minus um, <coughs> during the game. Bradley Beal and Markeith Morris have the worst at negative 12 and negative 10, respectively. Um, but... Uh, you know, the Wizards showed they could compete in this series, but I'm still, you know, on the Raptors' side. Yeah, I mean, they did win the first half by four, um, so had to, you know, that they always feel like they're very good in the second quarter, um, outscoring Toronto 36-27, but over the course of the season, they always seem to you know, get off to a hot start and then blow the lead and have to uh, come back from it or get off to horrible start and use the second and third quarters to kind of build up uh, getting back to where they are, but it seems like they don't play a lot of necking at neck games. This one certainly was it, though. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of people are saying you know, John Wall did score 23 points, you know, had a great game uh, in terms of that. But he also shot for 6 or 20 from the field. Uh, did make three threes, but that's kind of uncharacteristic for him. He doesn't hit a lot of uh, long-range shots. So, um, you know, if, if the Wizards are going to win this series, I think Wall has to kind of take a step back a little bit, distribute the ball a little bit better, because when he wasn't on the floor... Um, 
back when he was injured, a lot of people were saying how, oh, this is a less selfish team. And I don't think John Wall is a selfish player by any means, but I do think he has a little bit more confidence in his ability than he may, might necessarily need. Um, so, you know, 20 shots, and you're only hitting six. That's a little inexcusable in my opinion, even if only five of them came from behind the arc. Um, I, I think feeding it off to Beal, feeding off to Otto Porter, letting them be the spot-up shooters that they are a little bit more uh, could make for a more balanced offensive attack because, you know, in transition, nobody's better than John Wall. He's going he's gonna to beat you to the boards no matter what, uh, whether he's running to block your shot or to, to make that layup. And I have the utmost confidence in him to do that. But I think, you know, he just needs to take himself away from being that focal point of the offense and, you know, l worry less about padding stats and more about winning the basketball game. Um, but, you know, he did have 15 assists, and that's hard to argue that you know he's he's being a selfish player when you have that many. Especially uh, when his plus minus is plus two. Yeah. When you lose by eight, most of your team's going to be in the negative, and they, you know he won the only player in the starting lineup with a positive plus minus, which says a lot about how well he played out there. Um, but the story on my side, I mean, I'm looking at these stats right now. Everything's about even back and forth. I mean, uh, field goal percentage was six percent higher for the Raptors, but you go down 44 to 43 rebounds. Uh, 29 to 26 assists. The key stat, though, is the three-pointer uh, three-pointers made on attempts. The Raptors shot 53% on 30 attempts, while the Wizards only shot 38% on 21 attempts. If if the Wizards aren't able to close out on those three-pointers and you're going to let them hit 16 of 33s, it's going to be hard to win any game in this series. So, you know, moving forward um, in this, you know, pretty tightly contested series, considering it's a 1-8 matchup. You know, they're going to have to defend the three-point line because you're not going to win many games giving up 16 threes. Now, over in Golden State, the Warriors absolutely blew out the Spurs 113-92 to in a statement win that these dubs are, just because they had a disappointing end of the year does not mean they aren't still the favorites uh, to take the Western Conference despite the Rockets finishing higher than them in the standings. Um, they did lose 7 of 10 to close out the year. Um, but they were clicking on all cylinders here and really had a good defensive effort, something that we don't see out of the uh, Warriors a lot. It's usually we're just going to shoot and shoot until you can't keep up anymore. And um, they didn't even need to do that. I mean, yeah, they scored over 112, 110 points, which, you know, is usually a recipe for success in the NBA. It used to be 100. Now it's more of 110. Um, but being able to hold the Spurs to 92, um, you know, was, was huge. Holding all of their starters uh, to 14 points or less. Um, Kyle Anderson scored zero, uh, so had 11 points on uh, 11 minutes on the floor. Um, but uh, you know the Spurs definitely are, are missing Kawhi in this series. There's no doubt about it, and I don't really think there's any chance of them emerging from the series, uh, getting past Golden State. Yeah. So I mean, I, I obviously we talked about this on the pod on Thursday, and you know it's probably going to be a sweep. Um, but I'm looking at the injury report for Stephen Curry right now. I mean, he didn't play in this game. Um, it says he was examined by team doctors on Saturday, and the Warriors announced that he made steady functional progress and will intensify his on-court rehabilitation. Um, you know, it seems like it's kind of up in the air for when he's going to come back. I think the Warriors, you know, the takeaway from this game was they still, without Steph, Steph on the floor, they had a well-rounded attack. Um, you had Draymond Green almost get a triple-double. Kevin Durant, 24 points on 9 of 17 shooting, included 5 of 5 from the line. Uh, JaVale McGee, pretty good game, 15 point, ex-Wizard, uh, 15 mm -hmm. points, 4 rebounds. And Klay Thompson, 27 points on 11 of 13 shooting. Um, he, he was really good in this game. Uh, 5 for 6 from 3-point land. But my thing is, moving forward, I mean, they need Steph Curry back. I mean, if you watched the Rockets play last night, 
I watched the first half of that game. The Rockets are are really good right now. There's always questions about James Harden in the playoffs. Last night, I think he proved everyone wrong with 44 points. I mean, the Warriors are going to need a you know a full healthy team to be able to win this Western Conference. And you know, while the Spurs aren't that full healthy team, um, the Rockets are going to be, or you know, other teams in the Western Conference that the Warriors might have to play before them are going to be you know healthy as well. Um, and you know, I, I think the Western Conference will be a lot more interesting than people think. No, I mean, yeah, definitely we'll get to this in a second, but the, the Trailblazers losing opens up some eyes. Um, you know, are they going to be resilient enough to go deep into the playoffs here? Because, you know, uh, the Western Conference we talked about before seems to be a little less uh, balanced than it used to be. It's more top-heavy. And if that number three team loses in the first round, it's going to be all the more top-heavy and that we're really going to be looking at those top two teams. But, you know, you never know. The Pelicans came away with that first-round win, so... We will see. However, before we get to the Pelicans-Blazers game, we got to talk 76ers heat. Uh, as you said before, the Sixers won 130-103, making a statement 27-point win uh, in the game uh, with Ben Simmons leading the way 17 points, J.J. Redick scoring 28, uh, Sarge scoring 20, Illis Sova scoring 17, and Bede wasn't even on the floor, and yet it didn't even look close um, you know, at all. Of course, Miami did jump out to a six-point lead early um, and went into halftime. Uh, with a close matchup. However, in the second half, the Sixers really took control in the third quarter, outscoring Miami 34-18 to and then 40-25 to in the fourth uh, to really put a statement on it. Um, with no Embiid today, or yesterday, or whatever game this was, going into their, their game two, it looks like he's going to be back, or at least there's a good chance he will be. Uh, do the Heat have any chance of stopping the Sixers at this point? I don't know. The Sixers are the hottest team. I mean, I'm looking at this non-biased view right now. I mean, they're the hottest team in basketball. Uh, this is 17 straight wins for them now. Uh, you look at the way um, they they went at uh, the Heat. I mean, 20 points from Dario Saric, um, 28 from JJ Redick. I mean, they from the three point from three point land. Uh, the Sixers were 18 for 28, shooting 64 percent. I mean, we talked about it earlier with the Raptors shooting 53 percent on 30 attempts. 64% on 28 attempts is even better. Um, you know, they outshot them by 3% in the field goal department, out-rebounded them by 10, had nine more assists. I mean, they were firing they're firing on all cylinders in this game. I mean, it was a pretty close game at the half, um, but they really ran away with this thing down the stretch. And if they can have guys come off the bench, uh, like, you know, Ersan Ilyasova getting 17 points and 14 rebounds, um, like a Markel Fultz who can come in and get, you know, five points, four assists with a plus 12 Plus minus in only 14 minutes. Um, Marco Bellinelli, 25 points on four of seven shooting from three, nine of 17 overall. I mean, they're getting contributions uh, from the bench that you know they struggled to find during the regular season. I mean, we talked about how deep this team could be come playoff time, but I think you know the addition of Marco Bellinelli late, the addition of Ersan Ilyasova, and you know Markel Fultz coming back and really being able to contribute uh, has really helped this team, and and the depth really showed in this game. Uh, you know, I. If I'm the 76ers, I hold Joel Embiid out this whole series, make sure he's fully healthy so he can come back for the Eastern Conference semis. But great win for the 76ers. And I think the glaring issue here is this Hassan Whiteside, who only played 12 minutes, was benched, um, only scored two points in the game at a negative 16 plus minus. Uh, some were saying the matchups weren't good for him, and this just isn't going to be a great series in terms of who he has to defend and who's going to be defending him. However, you know, he 
was looking like the heart and soul of the future of this team after LeBron left, uh, and he really hasn't been that guy for him. Meanwhile, Kelly Olynyk coming off the bench, scoring 26 points. Um, he seems to be a force in the playoffs, no matter what team's he on, team he's on. I mean, I have nightmares about him all the time, being on the Celtics in that series against the Wizards last year. Um, so, you know, kudos to him. I think this is an exciting Heat team, one that I think might be a year or two away from really competing. Uh, Goran Dragic is still really coming into his own as a starter, uh, and I like to see what his development will lead to in the next few years. But um, as far as this series goes, the Sixers just look to be completely outmatching the Heat, um, and we're probably going to be seeing them moving on to the next round. Now, as we mentioned before, the Pelicans scrape by the Blazers uh, by two points, 97-95, to win their first playoff game uh, in what seems like forever. Uh, Anthony Davis coming on, having 35 points, 14 rebounds, and four blocks. Uh, overall, the backcourt uh, was able to, you know, a backcourt that doesn't get talked about in Drew Holiday and Rajon Rondo uh, held the Blazers. Um, really, I think that was the biggest point of this game was that, uh, you know, coming in, we're, we're used to seeing Lillard and McCollum really dominate. And yes, they, they did score 19 and, and 18 points, respectively. Uh, however, Holiday and Rondo both finished uh, combined 27 points. Rondo had 17 assists um, plus eight rebounds. I mean, you know, this is uh, a surprising performance for him. Even though he only had six points, he was really active all over the court. Um, did finish with them plus minus and minus four. However, um, you know, was was kind of a guy that provided that veteran presence for him. You could see other players on the court going to him and asking him questions uh, throughout the game. And uh, this is a team that hasn't seen a lot of playoff success, hasn't really seen the playoffs very much at all. Um, but Rondo was able to help Holiday and Davis really steer this team. And uh, it really was an impressive win for the Pelicans. Yeah, definitely. I think the story in this one was them limiting, uh, like you talked about, with limiting Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Uh, like we talked, like you just said, I mean, they combined for 37 points, but on 13 of 41 shooting, so not great. Um, they combined eight for 19 from three, uh, so, you know, that's a lot better. But, you know, outside of that, they weren't really uh, doing much out there on the floor. Um, and, you know, that goes along with their team stats, which, you know, I've been talking about three-pointers, but, you know, it's, it's become such an important aspect on the floor in the NBA nowadays. I mean, 12 for 39, 30% from three, that's not going to win you a lot of games. Uh, credit to you know the Pelicans, uh, their game plan to really you know take the top two scorers on this team out of the game um, and make guys like Evan Turner, Yosef Nurkic, uh, Alfred Aminu really you know go out there and beat them, um, and they were unable to do so obviously. And what a great game for Anthony Davis with that 35 points, 14 rebounds, um, and then Drew Holiday. I mean, it's always nice to see a former Sixer uh, go out and be successful in the playoffs. Um, you know, Drew with 21 points, seven uh, seven rebounds, two assists on uh, 10 of 20 shooting, so 50% from the field. Uh, I think, you know, the way the Pelicans are playing lately, you know, th- this is really going their way. Um, and another, you know, like I talked about the Sixers earlier, another hot team uh, come playoff time. And also nobody finished with more than three turnovers on the game, so it was pretty much a clean game uh, for the Pelicans. But one thing to note here is they entered the fourth quarter up by 12 uh, and promptly saw that lead disappear. So it's going to be interesting to see whether they can hold on to leads uh, late in games. Uh, you know, they were able to come out of this one alive uh, with, with Drew Holiday coming up for that block really late. Um, but, you know, we're going to need to see some big plays out of this team if they're going to go far into the, the tournament. And uh, as far as just their fourth quarter play overall, I wasn't super impressed until the end when they were able to hold on. So that's going to be something that they're going to need to be cognizant of moving forward. Uh, on to the next day of games, we had the Celtics 
beating the Bucks in an overtime thriller, 113 to 107. Uh, it looked like the Celtics were going to be walking away with a win. Terry Roger hits a three uh, with just under a few seconds left. Uh, when all of a sudden Chris Middleton hits it from downtown to tie things up, send it to OT, and then of course the Celtics go on to outscore uh, Milwaukee by six to get the overtime victory. Giannis had. 35 points. Chris Middleton finished with 31. Middleton, a guy who doesn't get talked about a lot, um, but has really been uh, next to Giannis, the number two contributor uh, on this team, finished with 47 minutes played, more than Giannis did uh, in the contest. Shot 12 for 20 from the field, including five from seven from three-point range. So if the Bucks are able to you know, come out of this series in any way, I think Chris Middleton's a guy who could really benefit from seeing that spotlight a little bit more. Um, but over on the Celtics side of things, Horford finished with 24, Rozier with 23, uh, Jalen Brown had 20, Marquee, uh, Marcus Morris coming off the bench had 21. I mean, they were getting solid contributions from all over uh, the court. Aaron Bynes uh, only had, or Bain, sorry, only had, uh, didn't score, um, one assist, three rebounds. So their center uh, position has really been a weak spot for them, and they're going to need to uh, see a little bit better play out of him. Um, with Greg Monroe being the backup there, a guy that they thought they were going to get more out of this season, and they really haven't. Um, so I would have thought that Giannis would dominate even more in the, in the paint, which he did. I mean, you know, walking away with 35 points, but didn't he, he didn't have a single block, um, you know, only two offensive rebounds on the game. I was kind of expecting a little bit more of an all-around performance rather than a, just a pure scoring effort from him, and that's not what the Bucks got, and I think that's the biggest reason why they were, you know, on the outside looking in at the celebration after the game. Yeah, you know, a question for... The Bucks all season has been their depth. I mean, we talked about the 76ers and their problem with their depth. They fixed that issue. Don't think the Bucks ever fixed that issue. I mean, you look at the roster. I mean, 66 points from uh, Giannis and Chris Middleton combined. Uh, but outside of that, they had one other guy scoring double figures with Malcolm Brogdon, and you know everyone else was you know two points, two points, three points, seven points, nine points, two points. I mean, they need more contributions. Um, you know from other guys on this team if they're going to be successful, especially against, a, you know, one of the deepest teams in the NBA with the Celtics, even without Kyrie Irving um, and Gordon Hayward. I mean, Al Horford had a great game, 24 points, 12 rebounds, 4 assists, um, 19 points, 10 rebounds from Jason Tatum. He actually had a huge block down the stretch uh, and a nice reverse layup. And, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying about, um, you know, Aaron Baines. I think they're going to need a little more out of him. Uh, unable to hit a shot from the field with only three rebounds and a negative three, uh, plus minus and a loss or in a win, um, which is tough. But you know what a crossover on Eric Bledsoe by uh, Terry Rozier and what a game. Um, you know it was kind of controversial whether uh, the ball was out of Chris Middleton's hands. Uh, it was like right, right above, and like mm -hmm. the camera angle was blurry. Um, but I think he got it off, and you know what a finish. Uh, you know, and it goes back. You know, the loss in overtime. I think it goes back to this Bucks team not having great depth. I mean, when you go into these overtime games, you need the extra minutes. You need guys that are going to be productive in the extra minutes that aren't tired. Uh, and, you know, the Celtics have the advantage in their depth. And so, you know, if games go deeper, um, you know, in overtime, I mean, the Celtics definitely have the advantage, and they showed that yesterday. Biggest game, most surprising one at least uh, in the tournament so far, has been the Cavaliers' 98-80 loss to the Indiana Pacers. Victor Oladipo scoring 32 points, um, and LeBron losing his first game one of the first round in his career. He was 12-0 and um, entering the game. Now, I, I think this is a really funny quote from him uh, that he said after the game. I'm down 0-1 in the first round, he said. I was down 3-1 in the finals, so I'm the last guy to ask about how you're going to feel the next couple days. 
Um, it kind of encapsulated where the Cavs are. I don't think they're worried necessarily. However, this is a very impressive win for the Pacers, uh, a team that really wasn't given a lot of credit coming into this matchup. Uh, Oladipo has been an absolute superstar for them, um, but Miles Turner has also really turned it on this year. He finished with 16 points and a plus-minus of 15. And Bohan Bogdanovich, a guy the, the Wizards picked up last year, 15 points, uh, six rebounds, and three steals. So, you know, they were getting a... a Lots of contributions from players all over the court. Lance Stevenson, a guy who some people still forget is still in the league, um, you know, making his contributions known uh, for the Pacers as well. Meanwhile, the Cavs, 24 points from LeBron, but out, outside of that, um, there weren't really a lot of players that really stood out um, to them. I mean, considering all the players that came in off the bench, four didn't score at all, and uh, three did. Meanwhile, um, starter Jeff Green also didn't score. So they were, you know, kind of really leaning on LeBron here. I mean, scoring 80 points, you're not going to have a lot of contributors, obviously. But with LeBron um, and uh, J.R. Smith being really the only offensive contributors here, uh, J.R. Smith went 3 for 6 from 3, 6 for 11 overall, had a good game uh, in 29 minutes off the bench. But, you know, for this team to, to get such little... Um, contributions from guys like Tristan Thompson, Jose Calderon, Kyle Korver only played four minutes in the entire game. I mean, that's really surprising to me, uh, especially with guys like, you know, Kevin Love not playing well um, and George Hill really having an off game. So I, I thought we would see more guys coming off the bench uh, midway through once it was clear that they weren't getting the contributions they needed. I mean, they only scored 14 points in the first quarter, got absolutely blown out 33-14 uh, and just kind of had to scramble from there. It, it just, it didn't seem like the, the Cavaliers' heart was in it uh, to me, and I mean, obviously LeBron has control of this team, and I think that they're going to be just fine moving forward, but it definitely is a disheartening loss for Cavalier fans. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, I've been talking about the three-point percentage all day, but the Cavaliers are, you know, in, out of all the teams in the NBA, one of the most reliant teams on making three-point field goals. I mean, their roster is just built for that. You know, LeBron drives the basket, kicks it out to three. I mean, they really built this roster. I mean, George Hill for most of the season was the best uh, point guard, three-point shooter in basketball, and they shot eight for 34 today, 23% uh, from three. And, you know, that was the game. I mean, uh, when you fall behind early in the first quarter, you're really going to need to rely on those three-point shots to get you back in the game, and they just didn't have that. I mean, uh, outside of LeBron having a triple-double, which I don't really, you know, give him props for getting a triple-double when he shot seven for 17 from the field, didn't make a three-pointer, uh, and only shot 10 for 14 from the line. Um, you know, they didn't really didn't get... Anything out of Kevin Love, I mean, 17 rebounds is great, but, you know, nine points on three of eight shooting, I think they need to get him more involved offensively. George Hill uh, only took seven shots with for seven points, um, only one assist out of your point guard. And, you know, Rodney Hood, who, you know, was kind of a dark horse um, during trade season, you know, everyone thought he'd be a big contributor and only nine points on four of eight shooting. Um, you know, they just didn't get a well-rounded attack from, you know, everyone that they needed uh, out there. And it's a shame because... They, they have some of the most talent in the NBA or in the Eastern Conference, um, but the Pacers are definitely showing that you know they're the better team in this series. I'm you know motivated to see if LeBron can will this team to victory because in the past he's been able to, uh, but this is you know probably the worst team LeBron's ever been a part of. Yes, sir. Now the Thunder and Jazz squared off in Oklahoma City for Game One of their series, and the Thunder emerged one sixteen one oh eight. Uh, Donovan Mitchell led the way for the Jazz, scoring 27 points and 10 rebounds. Um, a very impressive game from the rookie. However, the Thunder absolutely dominated 
um, especially with Paul George, who off of three-pointers alone, he scored 24 points off of threes, which outscored every single player on the Jazz except for Mitchell. So uh, he had himself a day. Uh, Russell Westbrook also scored 29 points, also picked up eight rebound, or 13 rebounds, eight assists uh, in the game. So uh, this was a typical performance from the Thunder. Um, not the great defense, um, but being able to spread the ball around a lot on offense, getting a lot of threes. Um, Russell Westbrook did go 0 for 4 from behind the arc, so not necessarily a great shooting day for him, but uh, was in the lane constantly, um, did hit the free throw line, went 9 for 9 from the free, uh, from the penalty stripe. So uh, a good game for Westbrook, a good game for George, and, and a you know, good win for the Thunder. I think this is something they can build off of. The Jazz are reeling now, um, but you know, being able to play game two and then have a chance to go back to Utah. There's a, there's a chance there for them um, because as the Jazz did finish 20 and 21 on the road during the regular season, um, despite finishing 14 games over 500, which would mean 15 games over 500 at home. Um, they are not the same on the road and uh, the Thunder, they are, uh, you know, definitely a force to be reckoned with here. Yeah. I mean, how about playoff P? I mean, Paul George, um, I don't know if you guys followed the storyline, but uh, you know, people started calling him playoff P and they went to the press conference and Westbrook and Mello were sitting next to each other, and a, a reporter called him Playoff P, and they kind of looked at each other like, who's Playoff P? And so he's got a new nickname, it's born. Uh, but, you know, what a game, 8 for 11 from 3 from Paul George, uh, 13 for 20 from the field. Uh, he, you know, he was the big difference in this game. I mean, the, the Jazz, um, you know, really struggled down the stretch. Uh, and, you know, there's a situation to watch now um, with uh, Donovan Mitchell. He has a foot contusion. Um, you know, he really had to beg the coach to put him back in against the Thunder because, you know, he was hobbling a little bit. Um, so, you know, that's going to be a storyline to watch because he's, I think, you know, their best player, maybe their second best player, if you want to say Rudy Gobert is better than him. But, um, you know, the other story for me had to be Carmelo Anthony. Uh, he proved, you know, first time he's been in the playoffs, I think, since 2011, uh, you know, really proved that he can be uh, effective in the playoffs. I mean, three steals, two blocks, a plus one, plus minus 15 points, and uh, two three-pointers. Uh, you know, he was really out there doing it all. So um, great game from him. And then Russell Westbrook, of course, I mean, 29 points, 13 rebounds, eight assists, a perfect nine for nine from the line. Uh, you know, great, great performance by him. And, you know, this is what the Thunder team's going to need, I think. Uh, their depth, you know, I've talked about that a lot in this pod, but I don't think their depth is quite where it needs to be outside of those three guys. Um, so, you know, the 14 for 29 from three was, was key. Uh, but they're going to need to find some contributions from some other guys. In you know most series, I'd probably say they could get that production from Stephen Adams. But you know, going up against the best defensive center in basketball, Rudy Gobert, it's going to be tough. Um, so you know, we'll see if they can keep up this consistent three-point shooting. Because if they do, they're sweeping the Jazz. Yep. And our final game of the weekend was the Rockets edging Timberwolves 104-103. Uh, when the Rockets only shot 10 of 37 behind the arc, something that we're not used to seeing. Uh, they entered the final seven minutes of the game, trailing by one to the eight-seeded Timberwolves in what looked like could be an upset. However, a guy who has received a lot of scrutiny for playing poorly in the playoffs, James Harden, stepped up, scored seven of the next nine points, and really created some distance that they were able to hold on for for the rest of the game. He finished with 44 points, um, a, a pretty pedestrian performance from Harden, from what we're used to, uh, but also had eight, re eight assists and four rebounds as well. Uh, Clint Capella also added 24 points, uh, including he didn't hit any threes, but shot 10 from 15 from the field. So a very efficient day for him. Uh, on the Timberwolves side of things, Andrew Wiggins had 18 points, uh, as did Jeff Teague had 15 and Jimmy Butler had 13. So 
Um, wasn't the uh, performance we were expecting out of the Rockets, but it was just enough to get them a win. Uh, certainly looked like the favorite moving forward. Um, I can't imagine what this, this team's going to look like when they're actually hitting threes. Um, but, you know, Harden came through when he needed to, and I honestly, I think that's the biggest takeaway here is that th they can rely on Harden uh, to be the guy that they need him to be uh, if they are, are going to unseat the Warriors as the best team in the Western Conference. Yeah, I mean, the, the story had to be, you know, like you talked about, James Harden, this one, 44 points. Clint Capella, I mean, I watched the first half of this game. Uh, he was huge in the pick-and-roll game. Uh, all game, I mean, Harden would drive to the basket. Uh, two defenders would collapse on him, and he would throw a lob to Clint Capella. I mean, it, it, all game, I mean, 24 points, 10 for 15 from the field. Uh, you know, he really exposed, you know, a player that I've been trying to say needs to get better on defense, and that's Carl Anthony Towns, who played 40 minutes, only made three shots. Uh, eight points, 12 rebounds, uh, two assists, and one block. Uh, a minus one plus minus. I think moving forward, uh, you know, they need to go with you know more of the Thunder approach and rely on their big three players: Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, and Jimmy Butler. If they can get those guys to score, you know, 20, 25 a game, uh, you know, this Timberwolves team has a chance. But you know, relying on Derrick Rose to defend James Harden, the best offensive player in basketball right now, I I don't. It, it confuses me. I mean, Derrick Rose has never been considered a good offensive player, and yet he kept getting, he kept, uh, ended up, kept ending up guarding James Harden last night, and, you know, time after time got exposed, and uh, Harden was, uh, Harden was 7 for 12 from 3. I mean, you got to step out on him and, you know, put your best defender out. I think moving forward, they got to put more Jimmy Butler out on him, um, you know, a little lengthier guy with some quickness, uh, but, you know, I still think this is going to be a sweep, and uh, the Rockets show that they can win a close game, and it's going to pay dividends down the line. Yep. Well, that's all of the games uh, from the first two contests in the NBA playoffs. We'll be back uh, on Tuesday, but Kevin's got something. I just wanted to ask you, do you are you panicked about the Cavs? Am I panicked? I mean, uh, no. Uh, the Pacers certainly outplayed them, I mean, from start to finish, and I, I think that, you know, it's certainly worrisome for this team. I've never been, bought, I've never bought in to this this unit that they picked up midway through the year. Uh, they never, even when they had a stretch of games where I think they won like twelve or fifteen, they were playing pretty well. It just didn't seem like it was seemed like LeBron taking over. And yes, LeBron can take over in the playoffs. We've seen it done time and time again. But he's always had a bit of a supporting cast, especially when he's won the finals. Uh, you know, he's always had you know his primary go-to guys, and I just don't think with J.R. Smith as being your number two contributor offensively, I don't know if that's really a recipe for success. You know, Kyrie was a playmaker by himself. I don't think J.R. I think J.R. Smith is one of the better spot-up shooters in the NBA, but I don't think that he is a playmaker, and I think that's what LeBron's lacking here. And I don't think this is going to be the Cavs' year. Maybe they get past the Pacers. Um, but I can't imagine them getting past the Sixers in the next round um, or the Raptors in the round after that. So I, I think this is, if they do win this round, it's going to be it for them. But just seeing what I've seen in the first game here and, and what I've seen over the last stretch uh, of the season, it just doesn't seem like a team that's built uh, around a, a successful formula. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, watching the games yesterday, I mean, I watched, like I said, I watched the Rockets game, uh, watched some of the Cavaliers game, and you know, for the first time I'm actually thinking it could be uh, different finals matchup, both sides this year. Um, you know, uh, the Warriors don't look as potent without Steph Curry, and the Cavs don't look very good. I mean, the Pacers, don't get me wrong, the Pacers all season have been a very good team, uh, and I knew they were going to give them trouble in the playoffs, but, you know, when you let Victor Oladipo score 30-plus on you at home, I mean, 
you're going to have to start questioning uh, how it is, how it's going to work because I don't think they can have LeBron score 40 points a game. I don't think that's enough to beat the Pacers uh, in the series. I think they're going to need contributions from the whole roster, and they just haven't been getting that right now. Uh, it really concerns me. But another thing, I want, lighthearted thing about the Cavs I want to bring up, uh, he did cheat on Khloe Kardashian, uh, which was in the news. Don't know why I know that. But Tristan Thompson. Yeah, tr- what did I say? You said LeBron. <laughs> uh, Tristan Thompson, yeah, yeah. No, Tristan Thompson. But Tristan Thompson actually just had a kid today with Khloe Kardashian. Uh, and do you want to take a wild guess at what the name is? Oh, man. I'm Faithful or something? True. True. Oh, True close. Thompson. Kind of True. T-R-U-E. He's destined for sortum. <laughs> Who names their kid True? I mean, Kanye named his kid North, so. You know. <laughs> hey, anything's possible. Anything's possible in this day and age. You never know. But that'll wrap up our NBA portion of the show. Uh, we'll be back. Sorry, I said Tuesday before. We'll be back Thursday. Uh, to with Tom Robertson, hopefully to talk um, more NBA, uh, more takeaways, plus some NHL for those of you who are looking for I'm NHL excited, takeaways. I'm excited to talk that with uh, Tom because the cap, Caps are down 2-0. They are, and it's it's been some ugly games for them. So Although they did outscore, um, uh, man, I don't even remember who they played. That's so bad. But uh, they did win the scoring uh, game yesterday, yet still weren't able to uh, win the, the actual contest. The Jackets, yeah. Um, but so that that's definitely concerning. But we'll see uh, if they can turn it around and what Tom's uh, gloomy projections are for the Caps uh, when we're back on Thursday. Now I want to talk baseball because right now uh, we're seeing a little wacky of a start here. Um, never mind that the Mets are leading the NL East twelve two, but the Pirates are eleven and four, leading that NL Central. Uh, the Angels are off to a really hot thirteen and three start, which some predicted, but uh, the Astros only ten and six, three games back. Um, you know, falling victim to Otani uh, himself coming through. I mean, this has been exciting to watch the Angels get off to a hot start. It's been it's been a weird weird start to the year so far. We're not seeing the teams we're used to seeing um, at the top, which goes to show in the National League, the three teams that won the divisions were the Nats, Cubs, and Dodgers. All three teams are either at 500 or worse right now. The Nats seven and nine, the Cubs seven and seven, and the Dodgers are five and nine, last place in the NL West, five and a half games back of the Diamondbacks there. Kevin, which of those three NL teams, the Nats, Cubs, and Dodgers, are you most worried about going into the rest of the season? You said the Dodgers, Nats, and... Cubs. I, you know, I'm going to be worried about the, the Dodgers right now. I mean, without Justin Turner in the lineup, uh, they can't fall too far behind in a you know, very competitive National League. You know, we've talked about this on past shows. Um, you know, the amount of teams that can compete for a wildcard spot this year in the National League is incredible. It actually might be the most competitive the National League has ever been. Um, you know, look at the National League East with the Phillies, Mets, uh, you know, the Nationals, and, you know, the Braves. I mean, the Braves are off to a good start. And then you go to the NL Central with the surprise Pittsburgh Pirates, Cardinals, uh, Brewers, and, you know, basically in every division there's four teams that could make the playoffs. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how the season shapes up, but... Yeah, I don't know if I buy into the Pirates there in the NL Central right but, now. But, I mean, look at the NL West. I mean, you got Arizona, Colorado, uh, you know, San Diego. I, w- I wouldn't sleep on San Diego. Um, I don't think they're there yet, but, they, you know, they got some guys in their lineup, some guys in their rotation. And then, you know, the Giants are due for a bounce-back year, even though they're 6-9 and nine right now. So, you know, basically anyone in that division, uh, you know, could make a run. And it's not good for the Dodgers that, you know, they're off to this rough start, especially without their best hitter in the lineup. Yeah, and I mean, the Dodgers had a minus eight 
uh, plus minus right now run differential. It's certainly concerning. And Logan Forsythe hitting the DL with shoulder inflammation. He was filling in for Justin Turner there. So they're actually having to go even farther back into their depth. Kyle Farmer is now their primary third baseman, uh, along with Enrique Hernandez playing a little bit over there. Um, but, you know, this is this is going to be a team that's going to be tested. This offense was considered good. I mean, with, with, with Turner and Bellinger last year, I mean, they made a lot of headlines. Osmani Grandal had a great year. Um, but, you know, it wasn't you know a runaway with the team offense. I mean, the pitching has really been a strong suit for them. Uh, and so far, Alex Wood is a 509 ERA. Rich Hill's at six. Um, Kenza Mayetta has been pretty good. But Kenley Jansen, their lockdown closer, 635 ERA. Um, you know, not really some, some great stuff we've seen out of them so far. So, yes, we got some small sample sizes here. Um, but the pitching is not really there yet. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see how things turns, how they turn around, how the offense is able to stay afloat uh, while Justin Turner is still on the disabled list, and if the depth can handle that kind of injury. But I think honestly, the team I'm more worried about is the Nats, and not because I'm worried that the Nats aren't going to turn things around, because I'm more than confident that uh, you know Sean Doolittle uh, has a, has a high ERA, but he hasn't blown a save yet. Brandon Kinsler has been up and down. The bullpen overall has been a little bit shaky. AJ Cole. Uh, their number five starter gave up 10 runs in his first start. Yeah, devastating uh, there. Did bounce back in a second, but actually Jeremy Hellickson starting in place of him tonight. So uh, they're going to have to, I don't know what corresponding move they're going to make, but uh, AJ Cole might be a free agent after the end of the show. But uh, I'm more worried about the Nats because of how good the division's looking. I mean, the Mets are 12-2 and two right now, and their rotation no longer has that if they're healthy caveat. No, no, no. Uh, it still has that caveat. I mean, we're only, what, 14 games Yes, yeah, 14 games in, but at the same time, they're all healthy, and they're all playing extremely they're well. They're healthy for two starts, though. We'll, we'll simmer down on the Mets a little bit. and They look really good, and if they stay healthy, they'll be a playoff team, no doubt. But... We can't just ignore, you know, the past. I mean, yes, and I know. And then the Mets, the Mets are... I've talked about this in the show before, but they, they've had this strategy where they were like, oh, we'll just not be injured next year. They fired their whole medical staff, didn't pick up any key free agents, and, and just tried to go with the same team. And it worked, failed two years in a row, uh, last year and the year before. Um, you know, since that 2015 World Series team, they've tried not to break up their core and, and to keep just betting on these guys coming back. And that's what they're doing again this year. Um, and, you know, the rotation gets a lot of credit. You know, Syndergaard and DeGrom are a legitimate one 2 ace at the top of the uh, rotation. Zach Wheeler looked really good in his first start, allowed one earned run over seven innings. Um, and, and Steven Matz has always been a good contributor for them. Matt Harvey, I'm, I've never, you know, he's Matt Harvey. I'm not going to go into that. But their bullpen is really what's impressed me. Of the seven guys that are on their active roster right now, here are their ERAs. 257, 1.69, 1.13, 1.08, 0, 0, and 0. I mean, they have been locked down in later innings, and nobody has been able to score on them past the seventh inning. Uh, so that's, I think, a huge weapon for them. Drew's Familia uh, having nine start, nine appearances, no earned runs, already has seven saves on the year. Absolutely incredible. Robert Giselman, who has been a starter for them in the past, had a rough year last year, dealt with some injuries. Um, 1.08 ERA on the year, has already had eight appearances, appears to be their clear setup guy right now. Um, so they have a lot of weapons uh, in terms of the pitching arsenal that really scare me as a, as a Nats fan to you know, go into the rest of the season, if, if they can be that same team uh, that they were in 2015 on the mound, even if it isn't Matt Harvey, the guy leading the way, you know, I think Snyndergaard has a higher ceiling than Matt Harvey ever did. 
you know, hot take there. But Syndergaard looks like a legitimate ace, looks like he could win a Cy Young this year. Um, and I've really liked what I've seen out of him and his 101-mile-an-hour 101 fastballs. Um, but then, of course, there's the Phillies, as you've talked about, a young up-and-coming team, a lot of good offensive players, some young guys. I'm not really sold on the rotation right now. Jake Arrieta had a surprising, surprisingly good start. Surprisingly good. He's still working his way up. You know, you, you expect these guys who didn't who had late spring trainings, you see it all the time. They don't really have, uh, you know, great starts to start the year. Arietta impressed me by, you know, having a pretty efficient outing. Um, you, you got to like 90 pitches or something like that. Should be full go by the next time he comes out. Um, but I, I think that, you know, he's going to be a legitimate pitcher. Um, and I love Aaron Nola, but I don't know about after that where that depth is. Um, Velasquez has had some... Nick Pavetta's looked really good. Nick Pavetta, you know, has had some... Uh, he's young. We don't know. Uh, Velasquez, Vince Velasquez has had some really good stretches in his career, but we're not really sure where he's at right now. Um, but I, I think the Phillies are legitimate contenders, and I think if that bottom half of that rotation can live up to the potential that it has, it's in Pavetta's and Velasquez. They're still waiting for Jared Eikhoff to come back. Of course. And so, um, and he's a pretty consistent starter. He's probably, you know, a, a high threes ERA, so he'll eat up some innings. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the story there with their team is their lineup. I mean, their bullpen's been great so far. But the lineup, I mean, Reese Hoskins looks like he could be an MVP candidate, uh, OPS uh, over 1,000 uh, this year. Scott Kingery, you know, already has seven doubles, uh, 855 OPS. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, 853 OPS. Odubel Herrera, 817 OPS. I mean, they have guys up and down this lineup that can hit. Uh, and, you know, like you said, the question's got to be the starting rotation, but I think it'll come around. And then, of course, if I had to ask you which team has the highest team OPS in the National League right now, who would you say? National League? In the National League, what team is the highest OPS right now? The Atlanta Braves. It's the Atlanta Braves, probably because he just looked it up. But uh, that is definitely a ball buster in that, you know, he's not the team you would expect. But Ozzy Albies has been absolutely incredible for them. He's only 21 years old, but hitting 313 is an OPS of over 1,000. Already has five home runs on the year. Um, been a stalwart for them. Vince, uh, Freddie Freeman, of course, you know. Typical Freddie Freeman style, uh, leads the team with 17 walks in 14 games. I mean, absolutely incredible uh, from him. Kurt Suzuki has been good. I mean, he's actually had some some pretty good years in the past. We have Dancy Swanson hitting 357. We have Ryan Flaherty hitting 366. Preston Tucker, 300. Nick Marquez, Nick Marquez is at 298. If Ender and wasn't hitting 179, this offense probably would still be you know out in the game from last night. I mean, they are racking up the runs right now. Um, you know, the pitching staff still a little questionable. Brandon McCarthy left the game uh, his last start with a shoulder uh, pinched nerve. Um, we're not sure when he'll be back. Sean Newcomb, uh, four ERA uh, in his first three starts. I do like what I've seen out of him, though, in terms of his stuff. An absolutely filthy lefty. Uh, Fulton Avich has been pretty good. Annabelle Sanchez, pretty, pretty decent. Um, but, you know, he's getting up in there in age. We're not sure how long that's going to last. Julio Tehran, seven ERA, uh, really abysmal. Um, the Nats beat him up uh, a few games ago. So the pitching staff, I'm not convinced about. Um, just kind of the same thing with the Phillies. But the the Braves pitchers, they have a lot more veterans, you know, in McCarthy and, and Sanchez and Tehran. Although Tehran's only 27. A lot of people talk about how long he's been in the league. He's only 27 years old. So, um, you know, still in the heart of his prime here. 
But, you know, with him pitching as poorly as he has so far, that's concerning. You know, McCarthy's injury, where are they going to go from here? They have a lot of young arms in the system, but they're not up yet. I think the Braves are maybe a year, two years away from really being contenders. But they are certainly on the come up. And, you know, we could be seeing them fighting for a wild card berth if, uh, if you know, a wild card berth is about 86 games this year. I think, you know, they could be certainly in the conversation for being above 500. Um, and I honestly think we could be seeing three teams, four teams above 500 this year in the NL East, which is not something we've been used to seeing out of this division in years past. Yeah, the Marlins will definitely help all those teams get to 500. Yes, too. you know, they'll all be beating up on them. Exactly. I mean, they're 4-11, uh, 2-8 in the last 10. Not, not great uh, for, not a great look for Derek Jeter as well. Hmm. Well, you know, I, I think they knew this coming into the year, so they're just going to have to brace for it. Um, you know, I think the the big problem here is Lewis Brinson has been absolutely dreadful. I think for one point he went 0 for 20. Uh, you know, not a great start for him, but I mean, the Marlins, where are they going to put him? Are they really going to send him back down to the minors when they have nobody to fill in his spot anyway? We're probably just going to see him uh, work out the kinks at the major league level, which, you know, that's been actually been a disputed uh, fact as to whether that works for players or it's better to have them work on things on pitching they can actually hit off of and then come back up. Um, so maybe we see him get sent down. You know, we saw it with Kyle Schwarber last year, um, but the Cubs had to, you know, were able to fill guys in for Kyle Schwarber. Whereas in Miami, we're really not going to see any other outfielders out there that really can play to his level or what he's supposed to be playing at. So we'll probably see a lot of Brinson. But yeah, the Marlins are going to get beat up. We know that. Um, but the other team we didn't talk about was the Cubs, um, who are you know caught in this weird dynamic of the NL Central, where the Pirates are currently in first place. Uh, the Cardinals are 9-7, and seven, but uh, only two, you know, two games over 500. Uh, only a game separates them and the Brewers down at fourth place. The Reds have been god-awful, 2-13 and 13 start to the year, lost eight in a row right now. Not great for them. However, uh, between the Pirates, Cardinals, Cubs, and Brewers, who looks like the, the biggest contender to you right now? Uh, that's tough. I mean, I, like I said earlier in the episode, I mean, I think there's 12 teams that can mm -hmm. uh, compete in the National League. But what are the teams again? Pirates, Cardinals, Cubs, and Brewers. Personally, I don't think the, the Pirates really, you know. I think the, you know, the Cardinals are a team to watch out for. I mean, they're going to have some bounce back years um, from some guys, and they added, you know, a potent bat in the line, Marcelo Zuna. I mean, the Cardinals uh, definitely got to be a team to watch out for, but I'm going to go with the Cubs. I mean, Cubs had a slow start last year, uh, ended up going to NLCS. I don't see it being any different this year. I think the talent they have in the lineup, the rotation, adding you Darvish, I mean, I still like the Cubs. Yeah, I mean, you know, they got they got to be the favorites right now. I've I've always liked the Brewers and what they've been brewing, uh, doing over the off season. I think the Brewers, See what you were about to say I know it just didn't come out the right way, but uh, the Brewers, uh, you know, what they did over the off season, I thought was a, a very solid plan, and, and you know, they were scooping up uh, really quality outfielders. Um, so we're gonna have to kind of see where they go from here. I think that they have capitalized on their young roster with the right veterans, and I think that's a good mixture. Um, but it's hard to pick something, you know, to go to the Cubs roster, look up and down and say, okay, this is a problem. I mean, that's tough. I mean, yes, Anthony Rizzo just hit the DL. Um, you know, he, that's definitely concerning. But he was hitting 107, uh, you know, through those six games, 32 plate appearances. Take that as you will. Uh, he's always been a historically slow starter, though. But Javier Baez hitting 191. Um, Ian Happ only 222. Jason Hayward still not being the Jason Hayward they thought they were going to get when they signed him. So there's been some problems on this offense. Um, but you know the pitching staff, uh, which also has had a few problems. Jose Quintana 816 ERA. Yu Darvish 6.0, um, which I've always kind of thought Yu Darvish was a little bit overrated. He racks up a lot of strikeouts, which he actually leads 
the starting rotation in Caper 9 right now. But, uh, you know, to me, he's never really been an outstanding um, starter in, if you take away those strikeouts because his run prevention, honestly, isn't really up there among the elite. Uh, Brandon Morrow's been all right as a closer, hasn't allowed a run, five appearances, four saves, um, four innings pitched. Uh, but, you know, uh, I'm not worried about the Cubs at all. This offense, you know, some guys will come around. I mean, are we really expecting Javier Baez to hit under 200 and, and Ian Happ and Kyle Schwarber? I mean, maybe Kyle Schwarber will hit 240, but, you know, he's done it, you know, only hitting three homers so far. I think he's going to have at least 20 this year. Um, you know, I'm not worried about the Cubs in any way. I think the Pirates are overhyped. Their pitching staff still hasn't had good numbers. ERA is about a 4-4 for the team, um, which puts them around 20th in the league. So I, I'm not really convinced that the Pirates can hang around. Um, in terms of the NL Central race, I mean, having given up two of their biggest names, Andrew McCutcheon had a good half, a good second half last year. You know, hasn't been the guy for them, but you know, that's still a big clubhouse presence, still a bat in the middle of the lineup that they needed. Uh, and then, of course, Garrett Cole, who's been absolutely incredible for the Astros so far. Uh, that's that's really going to hurt them. So I can't see this team hanging around throughout the whole year. So I think. Of the three teams, the Dodgers, Nats, and Cubs, I think the Cubs have the best shot at winning their division um, because, you know, like you said, there were 12 teams from from the National League that can make the playoffs. I think you can knock off the Pirates from that list um, to me. And then, of course, the Cardinals are in that conversation too. But, you know, the Cardinals' pitching staff has been fragile in the past as well. Um, you know, their offense has never had a guy in the center. They have Marcelo Zuna right now. Um, but we're going to have to kind of see how that pans out over the full course of the season. Yeah, definitely going to be interesting down the stretch. Uh, the Pirates did get the blow today. They were going to miss uh, Harrison for you know six weeks mm-hmm. uh, with a yes on my injury, fantasy team hand injury or something. So um, you know the injuries are going to you know set them back. They really can't afford uh, those injuries, especially because uh, he was active in the first place. Um, but you know it'll, it'll be interesting to see how you know that division and you know the rest of the divisions in the National League uh, you know really clear up down the season. Yep. Well, that's going to wrap up our show today. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our show on iTunes. To follow us on Twitter at Pure Sports Net. Check out our Facebook at Pure Sports Network and go to our website at puresportsnetwork.com. I'm Matt Weirich. This is Kevin Haswell signing off. Kevin, any final words for the good people? Turn on TNT tonight. Watch my Sixers take a 2-0 lead on the Heat. Trust the process. Nats are playing the Mets at 7.30, so that's the game that you probably want to be watching because it's uh, two of the best pitching staffs in the league. Um, But anyway, thank you all so much for listening, and have a good one.